0: The zeal of the convert is a thing to behold, burning bright and brief. It confuses light for heat, change for growth. To avoid fanaticism, we must use a light touch as we try to embrace the void.
1: going to make it back from the void, I suppose it was going to be you.
0: Oh, well, you know, one man's void is another man's piece of cake.
1: What about the reality we left behind? What about the reality where Hitler cured cancer, Morty? The answer is don't think about it. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly,
0: timey-wimey stuff. The podcast contains foul language, dark
1: invocations, and treating women like their people.
0: Welcome, friends, to episode 248 of Embrace the Void, where we are pro nonconformity but not super organized about it. I'm your host, Aaron, and this week will be the third in what ended up being an informal three-part series on social and political experiences for non-believer veterans raised in conservative backgrounds. So, let's talk roads from Damascus.
1: Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting
0: in... My guest this week is Ian Zora, a technical trainer who works for a company that develops and deploys satellite technology primarily for the military. Ian, would you like to say hi to the Voids? Hello, Void. Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, pleasure to meet you in this virtual space. Uh, exactly. It was fun to also get to meet you at the American Atheist Convention. We got to hang out a good bit at that one, chatting about, you know, all sorts of things, including your experiences as an atheist in the military that I thought could be, you know, a fun chat in our ongoing series about
1: atheists living their lives out there in the world. Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's been a big portion of my life, so I'm you know happy to talk about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So why don't you tell folks a little bit
1: about your personal
0: background and like what brought you to hang around with a bunch of deviants at an atheist convention?
1: <laughs> absolutely. I joined the military when I was 18 because I watched the movie Top Gun too much as a kid. Awesome. Always kind of got. Strong. Always, absolutely. Always kind of got the idea in my head that I would be in or around the military, and I kind of halfway through sophomore year decided, Hey, if I'm going to enlist in the military, I don't have to try so much in high school anymore. So I did that. Mm. <laughs> you could watch my level of caring drop if you look at my high school transcripts, but I joined the military straight out of high school. Uh, I spent just under nine years in the Navy. I would have done 20, except I got hurt. I broke my leg boarding a, a, a pirate ship about 350 miles off the coast of Somalia. Uh, literally, got my, wow. a, yeah, got my leg caught I, I between. Yeah, got my. I felt like a that was a setup boats. for a punchline, but it really it's wasn't. Not, it was no. really I,
0: just the story. Yeah, okay.
1: I, I got my leg caught between a couple of boats boarding a suspected drug runner about 350 miles off the coast of Somalia. I literally broke my leg boarding a pirate ship. I'm Delicious. the only person I know that can say that. <laughs> <laughs> but having broken my broken my leg so spectacularly, uh, I can't really run anymore and if you can't run you can't be in the military so i managed to hang around for another three and a half years or so with the uh, waivers for the physical readiness test but then they eventually they said uh, hey you you can't run can you and i said no and they said you need to get out of the military <laughs> uh yeah because you know on a on a destroyer i'm gonna have to run three miles or something who knows <laughs> I, I have no idea what the running requirements are for yeah. any position
0: in any place in the military so like,
1: <laughs> being yeah. on a navy ship you're not running marathons it's it's not you know there's not that many places to go for all uh, i know the drone pilots have to do jogging in between their
0: drones. absolutely they do yeah. yeah everybody's
1: supposed to maintain a physical readiness standards right mm-hmm. but yeah they they uh, I got medically separated and I'd been working, you know, pretty much nonstop since I was 14. So I decided to take a little time off, spent about six months just hanging out in San Diego with my, uh, my severance pay, um, uh, because they rated my disability at 20%, uh, which is directly below the, below the line where you would get medical retirement pay. I of only got naturally. severance. Exactly. Um, and eventually, after about six months of just hanging around in San Diego with nothing to do in my mid-20s, is that, is that you was were super from? fun. No, no. That's where I was stationed um, at oh, the okay. time. Yeah. Um, San Diego is a fantastic town.
0: I see. So you just you just hung around the area and just I – had, I had a pretty robust
1: social circle uh, in yeah. that time. <laughs>
0: I have images of what this looked like. I got, I got a rough idea here about sort of what that six months, do you feel like you have images of what that looked like? Or is that six months kind of a, a blurry period? No,
1: no, well, there were a couple of people in particular that had a lot of free time during the day as well. So we played a lot of rock band, did a lot of day drinking. And uh, mm-hmm. my, my, yeah, my, my place was uh, sort of the spot to watch football on Sundays. So a lot of Monday mornings, people, I can walk out into the living room and find people sleeping all over the floors. Um, it was, it was that kind of social circle. So I say,
0: I say the kind of folks who go, who would go into the military after watching
1: Top Gun, right? <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So after about six months of that, I, 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 would say actually probably about three months in, I started looking for a job, uh, contracting and mm-hmm. my primary duty when I was in the military was as a satellite communications technician. I, uh, I was in. Uh, an ET in the Navy or electronics technician mm-hmm. and satellite communication stuff was my specialty. So I started looking uh, using the military focused job search sites to try to find something in that field uh, because it's very, very difficult to try to just Google search or, or go on a normal job, you know, job site uh, especially if you're looking for something that can make use of your security clients. But I got mm-hmm. a I uh, I got a security clearance required satellite communications job uh, in Maryland. So I worked at Fort Meade uh, on the mm-hmm. NSA compound for about two and a half years. It took me three different IDs and two different door codes to get to work. Super fun. That sounds <laughs> way too
0: complicated. It yeah, like it a was lot, a lot. lot. A lot of work. Do you get paid? Like, I assume you get paid based on how many like weird
1: door codes you have to put in, right? that's <laughs> in that's like That's a scale. I wish. Oh, no. man, I wish. I'd go back to that job in a heartbeat then. <laughs> <laughs> But the military uh, that was running that site, uh, the, the U.S. Army, they, uh, they accidentally ordered too many soldiers uh, to replace the people that were leaving. And so they, they had a surplus of soldiers and they didn't need civilian contractors anymore. So the company said, OK, here's mm-hmm. a, a list of other sites where we operate. Would you be willing to move to any of these? And one of them was in California. So I moved to Paso Robles, which is up in the central coast, California, uh, to work at Camp Roberts for about three and a half years. And that was great, super fun. Love it got me into wine. I love living in wine country. Yeah, tell, tell me a little bit about what you're doing in these
0: like gigs at all, like training. Absolutely, you know. No, so tech.
1: actually, yeah. at this point, none of it is training. We were purely okay. operating and maintaining. Uh, so the the general job would be a mission specific request would come in to whoever the planners are saying this this unit is going out to this area. They're going to have this many terminals. This is the kind of support they need. And what we would do is we would take the, you know, we're basically the central processing hub for all these terminals that need to uh, shoot information and, and receive information from somewhere. So we would set up all the equipment to make sure that, they can get their mm-hmm. emails and phone calls. You know, it was. it's a you're, lot of... You're running uh, IT for the military is what you're saying. You're like an IT, IT squad for military. IT, but also... Yeah, uh, but also I was primarily an RF guy. So I, I would be working on the actual radio transmission equipment. Uh, uh-huh. But yeah, at, at this point, it's a lot of IT as well. Everything's moving towards IP architecture.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so... I assume that there was some benefit, right, if you're trying to get into these positions to be like, look, I've worked with these people for this many years, like, I know how they act and think, like, let me do this thing, and like, it'll
1: reduce your your headache levels or something? Well, especially considering, you know, the the topic of this conversation and what it's going to be, Mm. it's important to know that most of the contractor community, in fact, I would say ballpark 95% of the contractor community is former military because we do, we know the lingo, we know the routines. Um, You're going to have, you're not going to have issues that you would have with a non-military person when you hire veterans. Right.
0: And that's probably not even necessarily a bad thing. I I think like you could imagine, you know, some versions of revolving doors are bad, like politicians and lobbyists, right? Where, you know, I think ex-military individuals who get work, in those positions are probably go off and be in a better position than ones who like just get sort of thrown out of the military. And then it's like, do whatever, like go do your own thing. Like, I think there is probably, and then like you also would imagine that those positive reasons for that system also lead to like, everybody already knows everybody. So like being in the military is how you know other people in the situation. And so you just get those internal like bubbles of, of uh, groups of people.
1: Well, absolutely, and the the job that I do specifically, you know, uh, military satcom is a very niche community around the world. There's only a couple of thousand mm-hmm. of us, so there's you know, moving from from job to job as you know, I've probably had four, four or five contracting jobs mm-hmm. since I got out, and I have run into some of the same people at different places. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's absolutely a a small community. Would you say that it's like a fairly
0: grindy job or like is it a more leaning towards like a cushy job or is it like sometimes really cushy and
1: sometimes really grindy like depending on what particular it's nine. it's 95 percent cushy 5 percent grind um mm-hmm. the way that I like to describe it is we I get paid a decent amount of money um ballpark six figures or so mm-hmm. um and they don't pay me for for what I do they don't pay me to mm-hmm. sit around in a trailer they pay me because the five percent of the time where something needs to be done right now, I know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have to wait so for four to six weeks and have a five-hour window for you to show up and do the thing. Yeah, um, I mean, there still has to be somebody there all the time, especially on these major com floors or if you're overseas, um, communications floor, you know, work floors where there's especially at hubs. You'll have hundreds of missions going on at a time, and there's several people there just in case something breaks. But you know those things where they say uh, describe your job poorly. Uh, I'm mm. essentially a very, very long-distance cable guy slash digital fireman.
0: I understand. Um, yeah, you're like a lawyer on retainer, right? Exactly. And like a tech lawyer. I understand. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so that was your gig for a while, but then you start. As I understand, you move into doing some more teaching side of things, right? So how does that did that? I
1: did. So I actually i took a i took a break uh, about a five year break in the middle. I went to uh, Fort Meade and Roberts. And after Roberts, I went to Afghanistan for about a year and a half, uh, where the money was fantastic, but the, mm-hmm. you know, it takes, it takes practice to fall asleep to gunfire. Um, something you mm-hmm. need to get used to. Um, even after that, the yeah, well, I was in the Navy. I didn't get shot at a whole lot. Ah, so, yeah. Um, I got shot at as a contractor way more often. Um, So I did that and then I came back and I thought, okay, I've got a fairly sizable bank account because I was making big money over there with nothing to spend it on. Mm -hmm. Um, I I thought, okay, I've got this large savings account. I'm good at my job. I enjoy my job. But uh, I, I, I sat down and I thought one day, okay, if they weren't paying me, what would I do for a living? And the first thing that came to mind was all those lovely afternoons and weekends uh, in Paso Robles spent in wineries. So I actually uh, got out, went to college, got three different degrees. I have three degrees. None of them are in my field of work. Two of them Mm. are in winemaking. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I worked in wine for about five years, which is a fantastic job. My job was to stand around drinking and talking to people. But Mm. especially in California, it does not pay enough to keep the lights on. Right. And I thought, okay.
0: job in in like a rough sense here right what you mean is you were standing around and drinking with people and, like, talking about
1: wine and, like, sometimes Absolutely. in a semi-professional capacity. Absolutely. I was also yeah. the top salesman there because I'm really good at standing around talking and drinking to people. Sure. <laughs> drinking and to sell, people and And, and talking. convincing them to buy things. <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, were, were you ever talking. selling
0: the tech side of the stuff in, with the military? I've, or was it mostly just, you know, install, maintain, teach, that thing? Yeah,
1: no, I've always been on the uh, the grunt side, the, uh, the operate and maintain side. I've never been part of sales, uh, specifically with tech. Uh, mm-hmm. The only the only real sales I've done uh, or retail or customer facing side was specifically in wine. And mm-hmm. like I said, great job, but it couldn't really, couldn't really keep the lights on with it. And I thought, okay, I've got this whole other skill set that can earn me a decent living. It almost felt selfish to not use it. You know, when mm-hmm. the, there's plenty of people that could have that job in wine that aren't qualified for something else. So I, uh, I again, I got back on those military job search sites and, uh, Unlike the previous time where it took me several months to find a job, this time I found a job within about a day uh, just because they happen to have an opening and it's exactly Mm. the niche that I fit into. So the job that I do now is uh, based out of Atlanta, but it doesn't have to be. We don't have to go into the office anymore. One bonus of the pandemic. Um, But I I, uh, I travel generally to at least one, sometimes two or three different sites uh, in a particular month where I will teach the system that I am specifically there to support to military units that uh, either need trainer refreshing or if they've got new, uh, new soldiers that don't have a lot of experience on the gear, I'll get in there and I'll teach them the entire radio side one week. And then the second week, I'll teach them all the networking side, teach them how to get phones and emails up, all that fun IT networking stuff. Um, so, yeah, at this point, I've been teaching for about three years, and um, I really enjoy it.
0: Yeah.
1: It would have been super funny if you'd been
0: like, and that niche job was teaching the military how to tell what (laughs) kinds of wine they're drinking.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They needed 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 to get the, the chef's corps up to speed on the sommelier thing. Exactly. They needed a sommelier contractor. That'd be, Hey, if, if you can find that job, I will take it. I would imagine probably after, and this is going to be like an, a, a reference
0: for three people, but after apocalypse, now it was probably harder to get Somalis into the military. <laughs> it's really a specific group of people who would watch that and be like, "Hmm, maybe I'm just going to stick to being a chef in the first place." Um, yeah, so you go back and you're teaching, and and is the teaching stuff again? Uh, like, I guess what, was is probably for the most part also cushier, right? Where it's like, absolutely. You know, you get to, you get to, I, the joy of teaching is, you know, usually it's, you don't it doesn't pay well, but it's a, it's an enjoyable job for the
1: most part.
0: Um, so if you're getting both of those things, that certainly seems like a bonus.
1: Absolutely. And I've always worked uh, far better without direct supervision. And I think in three years that I've been doing this job <laughs> in the, in the, I don't know, 50 plus sites that I've gone to, um, I think I've had a, a boss or supervisor there with me maybe three times. It's fantastic.
0: I love the idea that you're like, I'm a person who doesn't like direct supervision, and then I went into the military Absolutely, yeah. Life. Like, I'm a study
1: in contradictions.
0: <laughs> how did that go for you at the beginning? Was that a rough
1: transition for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, waking yeah. up the first morning in boot camp, we got maybe an hour and a half of sleep, and they literally did the, the movie thing. They came in at 4.30 in the morning with trash can lids, turned on all the lights, started banging the trash can lids, and screaming at us. And I remember sitting up in bed and thinking, oh, this was a terrible mistake. I'm going to go home.
0: I've made poor choices.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was Joe yeah. Bluth. I've made a terrible I, mistake. I immediately regret my
0: decisions. Um, exactly. Yeah. I, so how did it work for you? I'm, I'm a little curious, like, what is your, your montage of settling into the military in a way that was functional? And maybe this will help us transition into talking a little bit about, like, sure. your atheist side of things as well. You know, Absolutely. like, what was it like sort of? Well, let's bring that in and then we'll talk about your experience in the military more. So you <laughs> come, you are, in, you are an atheist. That was obviously why we met at the I convention. Am. Do you want to explain a little bit how are you like a born atheist or are you a born again atheist? Um, and how did you like either make that transition or, or sort of come to
1: sort of identify as an out and proud atheist? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people in the atheist community don't have that, uh, you know, Paul, you know, Road to Damascus moment. Uh, I do. I actually mm-hmm. have a specific moment where I realized, oh, this is all bullshit. Um, <laughs> so I was raised in—I uh, went to Praise Assembly of God in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, it was a um, Pentecostal church, part mm-hmm. of the Assemblies of God network, and we were believers, man. We spoke yeah, what in level tongues. of yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. we we spoke in tongues. People getting knocked out by the Spirit in the aisles, uh, all that kind of stuff. Not full rem- snake handler though. No okay. snake handlers. No, uh, those wow. those are that's its own weird Appalachian niche, as far as I'm aware. Um, uh-huh. But we like. I remember as a kid hearing somebody in the next room being exorcised of a demon, and it was you know looking back, okay. it was just somebody was screaming in pain because the they yeah. were being tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That's um, so. Yeah. Great. grew up grew up a believer, but actually, uh, so the church youth group went down to the Brownsville. Re- Brownsville revival in Pensacola, Florida. And I want to say this was like 97, 98. Um, So I think I was a junior in high school would have been 98. Um, And I remember being in this massive revival, huge sanctuary, mega church kind of thing. And I remember somebody, the the preacher, like waving his arms, Benny Hinn style, just casting out the spirit to knock people down. Right. And we Mm. all fell down when he waved at us. And I remember laying there on the floor and thinking, oh, I'm totally faking this shit. I wonder mm-hmm. if everybody else is too. And it just kind of, it all, the coin turned over and I was like, oh shit, this is- A <laughs> theory about a mind
0: kind of moment where you're like, oh, their minds probably look like mine and mine is yeah. full of lies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you want uh, to unpack Remy. that name a little bit? Because I remember you referenced the name at the conference as well. It's like, wait, Benny Hill. And I was like, that's probably no, no. not what you were No, <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> Not but
1: Benny it would be Hill. funny,
0: I think, to put some Benny Hill to what you're
1: describing. Absolutely. A little yakity sacks. Stick.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But who, who, who are you referring to there in that Pentecostal? <laughs> Benny, um, Benny
1: Hinn was a faith healer in the 80s. He was a massive uh, televangelist, most famous for healing people in the spirit, uh, where, you know, somebody would, come up to the stage on crutches or or whatever and he'd wave at them they'd fall down because the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and mm-hmm. then two minutes later they could stand up and they were completely healed of course none of those people were ever actually paralyzed in the, or, or injured in the first place it was all you know a setup but he was mm-hmm. hugely uh hugely popular in the 80s at least in the in the evangelical community I'm I'm unaware of other communities at the time because I wasn't in them right I
0: understand so you're in this space of like mass, you know, mass hypnosis, mass psychosis kind of behavior and stuff. Absolutely. And you're like sitting there and you realize that it's fake. What happens next for you? Like, so what age exactly would you say were? And like, when, was, And like what happens? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was actually, it was a combination of that. And then when I got back to, when I got back home and uh, uh, went back to school after spring break, I remember talking to one of my, uh, one of my friends uh, who I was talking to him about this experience and how I was kind of starting to see things differently. And, uh, he said to me, yeah, I never got into that whole religious shit. I like to, I like to think for myself and that hit me like somebody hit me with a brick, like, wait a minute, I can do that. Mm. Um, so the combination of those two things really kind of went, huh? Well, I no longer believe the things that I was raised with because I can, I'm starting to be able to see them from an outside point. Uh, and that kind of, thought process led me to thinking okay well what else what else do i know that's not true what you know what are the truths out there i'm i have a a huge interest in knowing the truth value of things because having been raised in falsity um you know it's kind of a sore subject Mm,
0: yeah so like do you feel like you weren't properly like indoctrinated to respond to thinking for yourself with some sort of like thought terminating cliche or something or it was just like in that moment those cliches were not like there at hand for you to like you know get you know hand the wheel back over to
1: Jesus or whatever. <laughs> um, I've heard a lot of other people on on podcasts describe uh, belief as something that you don't necessarily choose. And Mm -hmm. I kind of agree with that. Uh, I never had, including this podcast, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I never had the inclination to uh, try to get Jesus back into my life. I've had plenty of people try to do that for me, Um, but the idea of going back to belief just seems absurd to me. Um, You know, if if I have a, a, a fact pattern that indicates to me that this thing over here isn't true. And you're telling me you want me to believe it anyway? No, Mm -hmm. I'm just not, I can't, I can't make myself do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, so my parents got divorced when I was two. Uh, So the two different households uh, that I was, I I lived with my mom for years. I lived with my dad for years. There was always interaction between both households. Um, My mom is very much the ideal of what American Christianity thinks it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is kind and loving and forgiving and living with the grace of God and all that stuff. She is what I hold up as the ideal American Christian. Um, Of course, you know, we can see on the news, that's not what they actually are for the most part. However, Mm -hmm. my dad also very religious, but we never talked about that. My, My mom's house was full of church and spirituality and, you know, worshiping jesus in my dad's house we went to church every sunday he was the guitar guy at church um, but we never really talked about that stuff what my dad taught me was critical thinking um, so when i actually got to the point where which, which seems a little strange to me now in retrospect that i was mm. taught, taught but it, it is often the case God that God like believing. people yeah people are very religious and also
0: critical thinkers and they just compartmentalize you know what they are overly critical about by you know, assigning certain things to faith, it seems Absolutely.
1: like. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, my, my dad was very good at arguing. He could argue I, any side of any argument you want and make it convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did that with me a lot as a child. So once I had this worldview shift, uh, I I had the tools to kind of start evaluating things uh, from that perspective more critically than I had before. And when you were arguing with him, was
0: it arguments about things like religion, where like he was just really good at arguing in favor of religion and was like,
1: "Oh no, we'd, we'd argue about h- stupid teenage shit," you know, like, "Okay, uh, I, I want to yeah, borrow the car on about Wednesday." Here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like like not really critical religion. thinking.
0: It was he wasn't using the critical thinking to argue for religion in particular,
1: though. Um, no, no, I I was not familiar with any of the apologetics, uh, mm-hmm. like intellectual exercises until I was out of Christianity because we we're getting like a, said, like a
0: very American like absolute. evangelical experience where it's a lot of feels and Absolutely. not a lot of like um, rigorous Bible study kind of analysis. No, I, you know,
1: uh, I'm pretty sure that the pastor at, uh, at praise assembly would, I think he had like three or four books that were his go-tos to base his sermons around. Mm. And we didn't read the Bible other than that. Cause mm-hmm. why would we? we have somebody up here guiding us through specific stuff. Um, that's that's
0: ironic yeah. given that that whole movement is developing out of a resistance to doing exactly that. It always just reproduces itself, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so in, so you're in that place, right, Junior? You have this realization. What's your like atheist transition experience like? Do you tell people immediately? Do you kind of practice various forms of strategic outness for a while or like you're just happy to just throw it in people's faces and like start arguments. What, how do, like do you enter an angry atheist phase?
1: There's a, uh, there's no zealot like the recently converted, right? Regardless Sorry? of, regardless of uh, what you're converting to. Um, I've never been good at, uh, at hiding feelings or thoughts. I have a terrible poker face um, except when I'm playing poker, weirdly. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh I I talk to people around me, the people in my social circles or, or whatever. Uh, I always talk to them about whatever I'm thinking, whatever I'm experiencing. It's probably a bit of a chore for a lot of people. Um, but uh, <laughs> when I when I transitioned over to not believing, I I remember asking a lot of people a lot of questions about what they believed, uh, how they how they came to those conclusions, you know, what evidence they had, stuff like that. Um, it wasn't. Uh, I wasn't the obnoxious proselytizing atheist immediately. Um, in fact, I didn't really start getting into that phase until, uh, until I started to listen to the atheist podcasting sphere, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, a radicalizing suddenly, influence for sure absolutely yeah well I was being, being uh, bombarded with all these uh, new new takes and and perspectives things that I you know viewpoints that I hadn't considered before and like I said I love talking to people about what I'm thinking so I and, and what what age were that. you when you got into those podcasts how far down the line was that so the um, mid 30s okay so you had yeah. a good... Big- 15,
0: 16 years there of just kind of being a. Like I had a similar experience where, like, I mean, I I didn't grow up in the evangelical world, but like being a not being being an atheist from you know from a young age. Um, I I didn't come to like the movement atheism stuff until sort of relatively recently, even by you know like, um, by that kind of uh standard. So, and I had you know I was there were some periods where I was more militant about it, I think, but like, I don't know, I was never super strongly. I don't think super hugely militant about it relative to other things that I'm way more militant about, like free will or something. Um, so you, right. Yeah. So you were, you were militant, right? You were out and proud. Um, how did your family
1: react badly? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you know, you always hear people talking about how if it's going to affect your your home life or safety or, or whatever, you should not. Uh, you know, there's, there's re- there are valid reasons, safety reasons or relationship reasons to stay, uh, so to speak, in the closet when it right. comes to your And it's just the
0: strategic outness, right? Very sometimes yeah, exactly. strategy is important. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't learn uh, nuance until uh, I'm still working on it. Let's let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Sure. Um, so. I've had arguments with my mother. Those are painful uh, because she, like I said, true believer, uh, my own personal version of of ideal American Christianity. Um, But just that guilt trip, man, whew, that is painful. And she gets very hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh,
0: where do you think she's coming from? Is it like she's afraid you're going to go to hell? Is it that she... Yeah, absolutely. um, That's that's the driving thing. Yeah. Everything else is like emotional responses to
1: that fear. Yeah. Her, her perfect loving God is going to burn me in hell for eternity. And, uh, that's gonna, that's gonna make her sad. Right. Um, <laughs> so we have, you know, I've, I've had those conversations with her. They're painful, but, um, not, not a huge overall, like didn't really change the relationship overall. What did mm-hmm. change the relationship with my father was when I got married, um, I married a, another atheist. Uh, somebody that I went to middle school with. We just didn't talk for 15 years in the middle. Um, <laughs> <Right. laughs> um, atheism in Harry Metz Valley, I get it. Basically, yeah, absolutely. Um, we're in the same homeroom in ninth grade. It's weird. Um, <laughs> when we got together, um, we played with the ideas of atheism versus religion a lot on our public Facebook pages. Um, And and this is around 2014 or so. My father took great offense to that. Hmm. Like I said, we never talked about religion when I was growing up. So this was very confusing to me, to him. There's, There's a meme, an old meme. It's one of those super long vertical strips. And it shows the planet. And then the next picture shows the solar system. The next picture shows the galaxy and then the local galactic cluster and then the known universe and then the possibility of multiverse. And the last frame is a picture of Jesus standing over it all saying, don't masturbate. And I thought that was hilarious. So Mm -hmm. I posted that on my, uh, on my, I can't remember if I put it on my wall or my fiance at the times wall. And my father sent me a multi-page text message about how I was spitting in the face of his faith and uh all this other stuff and it just it blew my mind i had no idea that was going to be a sensitive issue whatsoever that's an um, example of like early internet
0: interaction where like you post something for one one group and another person sees it and it's bad news
1: yeah it's important to, especially these days to check where you're posting what group you're putting stuff in <laughs> yes yes exactly um
0: important to check those names um yeah. so so you had some of those kind of like blow up situations, but it wasn't like a, you're kicked out of the
1: family. We were never talking to you It wasn't again, kicked out of the like, family. My, my father unfollowed me on Facebook. Sure. Um, which is, I, I guess, it's the modern day. It, it's the modern day version of I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I always think <laughs> someone follows me. It's a good choice on their part. Like I think they're making a healthy choice if they you know choose not to <laughs> consume my content.
1: Uh, you know, I think w- with the modern algorithms, we essentially, everything that we have is curated from our friends list to our content to, you mm-hmm. know, menus. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if somebody wants to not be on my friends list, I, I probably don't, you know, uh, we probably have a, a handful, a double handful of real big disagreements anyway. Okay. All right. So you're this high school atheist, you're anti, you know,
0: uh, authoritarian, <laughs> and then you join the military uh-huh. because that's you think that's your best option, right? Um, I'm also I'm
1: also very good at compartmentalization. Yeah, I hate yeah. authority, but I love structure.
0: Okay, fair. I mean, fair enough. I understand. I get that. Um, so you then go into the military. Do you immediately tell people in the military as well because you have no filter that you are an atheist, or do you like
1: recognize so, that it-
0: that might be a different situation?
1: One of the early decisions that you have to make in boot camp and remember boot camp is only the first two and a half to three months of your entire military experience. Even if you go in for, you know, a short four year contract, those first two and a half months are going to be boot camp. One hmm. of the first decisions you have to make there is what religious affiliation to put on your dog tags. Hmm. This was 1999. Uh, I don't believe that atheist was available at the time. Uh, there a don't was ask, like- don't tell option for this, huh? the only option that I felt comfortable with and the one that I have, my dog tags are still on my keychain, is no religious preference. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw an article from, I want to say 2012 or so where they were talking about the, the officially out atheists and agnostics in the military, which at the time about 1.4 million service members in the U S military. And I think at the time in 2012, there were 1800 official atheists and 1,800 mm-hmm. ballpark official agnostics, whereas the no religious preference uh, dog tag uh, imprint was on, I want to say, about 240,000 dog tags. So um, 20, even if... Yeah, yeah, you have the was, math guy here, so that's 220,000
0: <laughs> closeted atheists, roughly? Or something, roughly, you know, yeah. Right, somewhere yeah, in the... No, well, uh, some of them are agnostics, two, one would assume. Yeah, right?
1: 235-ish, yeah. That's a really um, interesting and, statistic, yeah. Yeah, it's about a third of the military, roughly. Um, well, no, actually, that's that. That math is way off. Uh, about a sixth.
0: Yeah, that sounds better. And I, of course, I'm joking. Not everyone, obviously, who's picking that is necessarily a closet atheist. But right, like, yeah, no.
1: It I'm is, sure, there's plenty is, of overlap with you know they just didn't have my the religious religion imprint that I wanted kind of thing. Sure, I didn't want Satanist on my dog tag
0: or something like that. Ooh, that'd be um, interesting to see if that's available. Yeah, the Church of Satan. Um,
1: started a war with the military yet about this i think that would be i don't think so i know i know there are over 200 options I, uh-huh. I don't i don't think satanist is one of them but atheist and agnostic are both on there now okay we'll, we'll follow up on those options and see how you know yeah. it's, gonna be like, it's
0: gonna be like a list of genders right where it's gonna be flavors exactly. that would piss off conservatives, one would imagine <laughs> um so you uh, but but so yeah. i made
1: that decision early in boot camp um mm-hmm. but the boot camp experience is so consistently stressful and packed full of stuff to do, on mm-hmm. purpose, you know, by design. That there wasn't a lot of time to uh, to talk to people about religion. It wasn't a topic that many of us were thinking about. The mm-hmm. only time it ever came up is in boot camp on Sundays. Um, half of the, roughly half of my recruit division would go to chapel, and the other half of us would get to sit around and read the newspaper which was super gift, like just so relaxing, huge reward. Uh, Just to read the comics page.
0: (laughs) This is is the religious version of like, I uh, smoke cigarettes when I work in a restaurant because it's the only way to get a break. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Uh Okay. Um, So a
1: a lot of people abstained from whatever religion they had just to have that little, you know, little extra sliver of time off. That that Homer Simpson, I stay home episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, the people that were going to chapel clearly knew that there were those of us that weren't going to chapel, but there was enough uh, crossover with still, you know, spiritual, but not religious or religious, but want your free time um, that it uh, unless you specifically ask somebody, why aren't you going to chapel? You, you wouldn't have any real reason to, mm-hmm. to question it. Um, it was I think the first time that me being an open atheist really became an issue was on my first ship. Uh, which was a destroyer, relatively small ship. It's uh, 616 feet long. There's about 240 people on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems a little on...
0: small for something named a destroyer. I feel like
1: that's a little... The gu- the guns Ragged. are very effective. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess lots, with the
0: size, it's how you shoot it. It's fine.
1: Lots and lots of missiles. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, won't, I won't disrespect the people on the destroyers. I feel like it's probably a, voice, a poor choice. If you want to make fun of Coast Guard, do that all you want. <laughs> I live near the water, so I'm just not going to... I'm going to hedge and say it. it's all dangerous. Good job, people. Right, right. Um, yeah, so you're on a destroyer, and it's a problem because people... Like.
1: Well, again, it wasn't it wasn't so much a pro There was a couple of people that ab- absolutely trusted me less once they found mm-hmm. out I didn't believe in a magical sky wizard. Um, but I was also a work center supervisor uh, the, of my work center. So there wasn't a lot of stuff that people could like do to me in, in some, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. if there was any impulse towards uh, punishment or retaliation for belief. Uh, you know, if, if anybody's looking at me for thought crimes, but the only people that could have actually, you know, could have actually done anything to me career-wise uh, or even day-to-day-wise didn't seem to care all that much. Um, but there were there were absolutely a couple of people that were like, what do you mean you don't believe in God? I don't – why Why are you in the military? Do you You're an atheist, right? So does that mean you just – did you join the military so you could kill people or <laughs> – like, yeah, where, where, why do they put those two things together that way? Um, so I, I actually, you know, I was I was at your talk at uh, AaCon on the, uh, the, how do you put it? The yeah. immoral, oh, the, the immoral non-believer stereotype. Yeah, yeah this idea yeah, exactly. that, that we're immoral I, because we're atheists. Exactly, and I think it was a lot of that. You know, we've 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 all heard the argument of, uh, well, if you don't believe in anything, then why don't you just kill people all the time? Because I don't want to. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't believe that I would be judged by some deity, but uh, uh, it's the old Penn Gillette quote. You know, I, I kill and or I murder and rape exactly as much as I want to, which is zero. So um, is the implication that they're in the military to kill for Jesus or? No, but I think that uh, especially and this was this was early 2000. So, uh, you know, the MAGA thing hadn't really. Uh, come about yet, but there were definitely seeds of it. And I think that they saw joining a lot of a lot of the believers that I met that were like the super gung ho believers and super gung ho military definitely conflated those things in their head. Um, it was some sort of, uh, you know, duty to God and country that that brought mm-hmm. a lot of people into the military. The, the number mm-hmm. of cross tattoos is out of hand. Mm hmm
0: so what did not trust or so what did, what did trusting u s look like if they can't like specifically you know undercut you um in terms of your career like was it just like different kinds of shit talk from what you'd normally expect in the military or like
1: h- how did that express itself in terms of their behavior there was there was some of that um there was a lot of side glances a lot of side eye um a lot of people that didn't necessarily want to. Uh, work in conjunction with me. Although, like I said, I was, I was a, a, su- a supervisor for my own work center. I, I had a couple other people under me, so it wasn't like there was a lot of crossover and who I needed to work with, but uh, it definitely affected me socially. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were, there were people that I think I could otherwise have been friends with that would not make that effort because they knew I was an atheist. Um, but on the other hand, there were also a handful of people that believed the way that i do or rather didn't believe the way that i do and those i'm still friends with some of those mm-hmm. um so you know positive and negative so it wasn't all negative yeah did y'all did
0: you talk to those folks about that stuff in the military like was it a situation where you know when they knew that you were openly about it they would like come and talk to you and like you know bring you their atheist uh confessional kind of stuff yeah
1: absolutely well uh, both of the ships that I've been stationed on, I somehow ended up as as sort of the the drama vault or the secrets vault. Everybody that always. kind of atheist they... priest vibe to me. I could say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm somebody that you can tell your stories to. I'm fairly easy to talk to, and they knew that I wasn't going to tell anybody else. So especially when it came to issues like that. Um, on one of my ships, I, I dated essentially the manic pixie dream girl atheist. Um, I'm still good friends with her, but it was that would be a sitcom like, I would watch. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But it—it was—I've—I've run into similar situations recently where they find out that I am an atheist, and it's like a beacon of light. Like, oh my God, somebody I can talk to about this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. My my current job, we we hired on a new hire about six seven months ago, and the first trip that I went on with her. I said, you know, how are you? How are you getting along at the office? How are people treating you? She was like, pretty good, but you know, it's a lot of weirdness. I'm a, you know, bisexual, a athe- childless atheist with blue and purple hair, so people treat me a little strange. I was like, holy shit, we're gonna be friends. Yeah, we're on the same team. Was she also
0: yeah. ex-military?
1: Yeah, she just retired. I believe she she put okay. in a full twenty. So she's yeah. one of those
0: situations where it's like, I can finally be all of those things. And I'm going to do it as openly as I can kind of situation. Yeah. Dye the hair, put in all the piercings, fuck whoever you want. It's great. <laughs> great. I mean, look, you know, that makes me really, you know, lean towards more private contractors in the military. Right. I feel like, this idea you got a bad rap when it was, you know, these are mercenaries being sent to kill children. But I love the idea of, you know, <laughs> tech support, Um, you know, goth, Uh, pixie dream girl chicks and whatnot and all of yeah i think that's so so you had those kinds of slightly more positive experiences were there any things where it was like you actually do think you know at some point you probably had a door close for you because someone knew that you were an atheist
1: not that i know of i'm sure it's happened somewhere Uh, it's almost Mm -hmm. inevitable with how long i've been in and around the community that um, you know, people, people get judged for the things that they, uh, portray about themselves. I have definitely walked into rooms, both in the military and at my current job, uh, walked in and, and, and walked in on people saying things like, well, you got to watch out for him. He's the, uh, he's the office liberal. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me, let me, let me put it this way. He doesn't believe in God and he voted for Hillary. <laughs> the office neoliberal. I think they should be,
0: yeah, should be basically about this. Right. Well, yeah. Let yeah. me ask you a little about your politics. Are you, are you like a neoliberal shield at this point? Do you feel like, or are you <laughs> like a lefty
1: commie, you know, I would radical? say, I'm, I, I don't know that I can accurately pigeonhole myself. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, according to my own ethos, the things that I believe are the most obviously sensible and correct things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put myself, I would say, probably about halfway between uh, standard Democrat and uh, and uh, Max from Eve Six, you know, mm. super ultra le- ultra lefty. Um, I see. I right. I, I find I find a lot of the positions on the ultra left to be just as laughable as the stuff, uh, you know, center moving right. Uh, but I'm I'm absolutely a very liberal person. Mm. So you
0: mentioned that they were sort of. It's often interesting which cluster of things when someone is warning somebody not to trust someone else, you know, like an atheist and, you know, blank or something. Right. So liberal, was it also a marginalized, you feel like, or like somewhat closeted community in the military? Is it still a space where it's like
1: that's a weird place to be if you're that person? When I was in active service, it was definitely and I got out in 2008 Um, It was definitely a topic to be – or a community that was a little more cautious about expressing their beliefs openly um, because the military is, by and large, a very conservative place. Um, Mm. I think that that has improved a lot over the last decade or so. Um, It's definitely – I, I think as the population in general moves towards more of a, uh, you know, non-believer nuns type, uh, configuration, I think that a lot of these, these ideas and, and viewpoints are becoming more, um, not standard, but acceptable, you know? Mm. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, if that, that article that I saw that said about a sixth of the military was, uh, was, you know, no religious preference in 2012, I, I, th- I haven't seen any studies like that recently, but if they were to take one this year, I would guess that's a lot closer to 50. Um, But it is absolutely, you know, when I first, uh, when I first started uh, dating my ex-wife, she was real hesitant to go out with me at all at first because I was a, uh, you know, big tattooed former military guy. So she just assumed I was going to be a Republican and Mm -hmm. a Christian. And (laughs) there's some sort of stereotyping there that is to some extent based on demographics a little bit. Absolutely. And it's it's a stere Yeah, exactly. It's a stereotype that is that has a a toehold in reality that generally the people that join the military are going to be a little more on the conservative, uh, you know, God and country mindset. Um, Clearly not all of us.
0: Yeah. So you're now teaching. When you're teaching, do you tell your students that you're an atheist? Does it come up? Do you not It'd hide wi- it? Whenever it comes would be up? Wi- wildly inappropriate. Right. Okay. let's um, so, you know, have that kind of conversations. I, I have different kinds of conversations with my students because I'm not teaching about satellites. So you know. I
1: I will have conversations about those topics with students if we're in off time and they bring it up. Uh-huh. Uh, I, okay. And I will make it very clear that I am in no way representing the military, my company, or any viewpoint other than my own when I'm talking about it. However, mm-hmm. I will, you know, I'm, I've got a scathing atheist t-shirt on right now. I'll wear that at work. I'll just have it on under a polo, you know? Mm-hmm. Fair um, enough. So it's, it's a, uh, I think it would be wildly unprofessional for me to get up there and start talking politics or religion as a representative of my country or my, my company sure right probably wouldn't
0: come up but uh yeah that makes sense do you so let me ask you we're getting a little um short on time here and i gotta torture you here in a second what um advice first of all what kind of advice would you have for active duty atheists right folks who are still in the military right now and you know like are are a lot you know a little farther back on that
1: trail that you've sort of had to you know walk through. yeah um well it's uh I, I did a little bit of research trying to find out if atheist or humanist chaplains are a thing in the military. I was not able to find, uh, any, any evidence of that. And my Google food's pretty strong. I'm not saying I'm a hundred percent correct. I could absolutely be mistaken, but as far as I know, there are no specifically atheist or humanist chaplains in the military. So that kind of removes uh, a, a support peg right there. Um, at this point, like something we, we need more of. though. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the religious get a, uh, an extracurricular counselor and the rest of us don't Right, we should um, have a philosophy class for the atheist militants. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's just a school counselor basically, but for the military. Um, yeah, I think that would be a really interesting idea, but since as far as I know that doesn't exist, uh, I can only talk about what's been useful to me, which has been online communities and the podcast sphere. Mm. Um, you know, Shows like Scathing Atheist or Cogdis or your stuff, Thomas's stuff, um, you know, all, all the, mm-hmm. the all the stuff coming out of the Mercy Side Skeptics shop. These have been extraordinarily helpful to me, um, not only in knowing that I'm not alone mm-hmm. in the way that I see the world, but in finding a, a community uh, to to have support with, to have community with. Um, which, you know, back to your very first question, that's how I ended up. Hanging around with, uh, as you said, a bunch of degenerates at an atheist convention. <laughs> I listen to these people all the time. I live mm-hmm. in Atlanta. It was going to be mm-hmm. right there, and I thought, you know what? I haven't taken vacation in three years. I should do that. Right. Um, so it could have been anywhere. Right? It sounds like you travel pretty frequently. So oh, yeah, I'm 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 diamond status, and you know ambassador. I've got all the rewards points for everything. Um, for people that are still active duty, um, just. You know, I I, I heard you talk about this in your talk as well, almost almost regardless of where you are at, wherever you're stationed, there's 97 percent likelihood that there is a an atheist or humanist group near you, Um, Mm -hmm. which now that, you know, pandemic sort of winding down, people can actually get out about and, and, and do stuff. Um, You can actually be in social situations again. I have found those groups to be hugely, uh, hugely helpful as well. When I lived in uh, Central Coast, California, I went to the, uh, what was it, San Luis Obispo Atheists United or something like that. Great group. Mm -hmm.
0: Do you know of any groups in particular for ex or current military atheists that are like targeted towards discussing
1: that experience in particular? Not in my personal experience, but I'm sure that they exist. In fact, that's mm. something I'm probably going to Google after we get off this call. There you go. And if you can't find one,
0: you know, eventually you start one, right? Uh, Absolutely. So, so, yeah. So my last question usually before torturing people is resources. You sort of dipped into that a little bit talking about the online, the the podcasting stuff. Were there any other like books or, you know, other materials that you feel like really did it for you in terms of um, you know, that you think would you suggest to people who want to,
1: you know, dive a little deeper into this stuff. I have a real issue personally trying to read nonfiction. It Mm. it has to, it has to be just jump off the page captivating for me to, to make it through one of them. So I've, you know, I've read the first third of a lot of the, the four horsemen, uh, mm-hmm. I've read a, a, the first third of of, of, of Seth stuff, and well, you were raised on uh, the Bible, so your literary expectations are, are very high.
0: One would assume,
1: right? I like have your, I have yeah. actually powered through that thing four times now. Well, wow. almost four things. Yeah, I'm. Well, that fourth time that I'm counting my my first uh, listen through of Thomas in the Bible. Um, oh, I don't think that necessarily counts. I feel like if you make
0: somebody else read it, then she, it's just he literally reads through the entire thing. Yeah. I've <laughs> Still okay. Yeah. Um, So all right. So not necessarily something of those books, but you know something in the listening. Yeah,
1: that's for me. The uh, and and again, this is not for everybody. It's just the way that I uh, input information is for me. Audio is a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I mean, you can you can get any one of those those books uh, on audiobook. I'm sure. Uh, You just have to you have to read or listen to them within the context of the time, because most mm-hmm. of those four horsemen are real assholes now. They, they have not all aged well, yes. That is certainly, yeah.
0: most of them have not aged well. And probably those books have not necessarily aged well as much either, though I think some of them still have some good content to them, um, Absolutely. and yeah, I'm also in a place now where I, I, I can't read anymore. It's all, p- plug it into a natural language processor because I need to, <laughs> you know,
1: be able to get now up you- and
0: do stuff at a moment's notice. You give me um,
1: some sci-fi fantasy, I'll, I'll read that all day.
0: Oh, see, yeah. Even there, I really struggle. And it's hard because I feel like I can't read, I can't listen to fiction very well. I'm really good at listening to nonfiction. But if listening to fiction is really hard for me. I feel like I, I can't visualize, I can't uh, track the characters as well and stuff. So unless I've read a book already... Listening to the audiobook is trickier, um, but okay, enough about me. Let's talk, let's torture you. Um, so this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. Now you're a long-standing Voidling. So you know what this is going to be like for folks who are not familiar. I'm going to give you a list of things. You're going to tell me, are these things real or not real? Okay. Those are your only options. You don't get to hedge. You don't get to explain what you mean. Just real or not real, okay?
1: Understood. And I purposely did not think a lot about it before this. I want it to be Good off choice. the cuff.
0: Good choice, right. Clear your mind, become zen-like, right? Beginner's mind. Um, and sure. then like, you know, military d- levels of discipline of not trying to hedge. All right, here we go. So first of all, let's check. Is there anything, anything in the universe that you think is real? Yes. All right, great. Let's, let's find out what is in fact real. The external world, real or not real? Real. Colors, real or not real? Not real. Phenomenal consciousness, real or not real? Real. The inner, the want... inner world of experience, yeah. Free will. Ooh. Um, real. Selves or persons? Real. Genders? Real. <laughs> Races? Not real. Species. Real. Morality. Real. Rights. Not real. Knowledge. Real. God or gods. Not real. Society. Real. Money. Mm, real. Numbers. <laughs> real fictional characters not real holes like a hole in the ground i love this one uh <laughs> not real Surprising that you like holes uh chairs
1: <laughs> i love this one too real sandwiches real <laughs>
0: science you look like you love it
1: yeah i'm, I'm enjoying the torture did you say science hmm real
0: Yeah, you've got that kind of, like, spicy wings vibe going on. Um, (laughs) Natural laws.
1: Real. Beauty. Mm, Let's see here. No hedging, Real. Love. Real.
0: Causality. Real. And finally, time.
1: Mm, Real, but not what we think it is. All right, you I almost made it through without edging. It was, yeah. it
0: was, yeah. I'll give you the one. You were very good. Um, how do you feel?
1: Conflicted. <laughs>
0: good. good. That's what we like to hear. Yeah. Uh, so usually I'd have people plug their stuff at the end of the episode. I'm not sure you really have anything. Uh, I am
1: not currently on plug. any podcasts. I was, I was on one for several years that is now defunct. So if I'm allowed to plug somebody else's stuff, uh, a show plug that I you know. Like. A show that I, I believe you have been on, uh, which is This Film is Lit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love their show. They do such a great job. They, uh, you know, the, the whole log line of their show is trying to figure out uh, the age-old question, which is better, the book or the movie? Mm-hmm. And I can listen to them all day. It's great. Unfortunately, if you get into it right now, they're doing their summer series, which uh, is Fifty Shades of Grey. But there's like three or four years of backlog content that's absolutely worth listening to.
0: Yeah, they're a great show. I've been on them, I think think twice at least we did dune i think and we definitely did a scanner darkly which is my favorite philip k So if you want to if you want to go hear me like fall apart emotionally trying to read the epilogue to um a scanner darkly that's a that's a fun moment right that was a classic uh so yeah highly recommend highly co-sign uh so ian thanks for coming on and stick around and and we'll we'll chat a little bit do a little bit of bonusy fun time content sounds good All right, so thanks again, folks, for listening. And of course, you know, come join us on Patreon and come hang out some more. As a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you. But as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks again to our listeners and patrons who make this show possible. Thanks to our newest yearly patron, James Pulver. And as always, I'd like to thank our top tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Alex Beneshek, Jay Aldenwalt, serious inquiries only lawrence shielding i changed this name at the beginning of the winter dude fix the vote that bastard neil polzin chad t jesse arabinowitz and brenda goodman and all the thanks to our archduke level patrons big easy blasphemy creepy little void eyes and dave maslich if you'd like to support the show please check out my other show philosophers in space And while you're at it, check out our wonderful editor, Louisa Lyons' Film Live Musicals podcast. Leave them all a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. You can also follow me on Twitter at ETVpod or email me at voidpod at gmail.com. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access episodes and bonus VIP content. Most of all, whatever you think of authority... You are the void, and the void is you.